Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull. Hello, Joe. Hey, JJ, how are you? Really good. I've just read a funny comment on uh, the YouTube. That's why I'm sounding like I'm laughing. I'm not crying. No, I'm not sure. crying. No, having a lovely time and a lovely day. Correct. And we've enjoyed a lovely day, JJ, haven't we? With Seb Stafford Blaw. Hi, Seb. I have had fun. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. Really, really happy. What a great day. Another good really? day. Two good days in a row. It's like 1999 all over again. Yeah. 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 Why 99? I don't know, just remember the 90s fondly. Bit like bit like seeing the 90s, isn't it, with all the haircuts now and all the style and the fashion, the young people's fashion. It's like the 90s all over again, JJ. That's right, and I've been reminded there was some sort of tournament, I believe, that happened in the 90s. Yeah. Called, I remember, yeah. Jousting. Well, that's come up. You're you know? very animated today. This is, I think I've seen new sides to Joe Devine today watching the football. <laughs> well, they really, they got, they got me up and going. They got me ready, didn't they? they uh, I enjoyed... I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I'll just say it. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Of course, I'm referring to England uh, winning 2-0 against Germany at, at, uh, at Wembley. And it was lovely. It was lovely. And I enjoy hope. And uh, I think there's going to be a theme of hope throughout this podcast, Seb, isn't there? <laughs> enjoy hope. Well, I should suspect so, because uh, you did have a go at me for not being positive enough well, after about seven minutes. It's because you were being very negative. Yeah, you scolded me. You shouted. Yeah, well, and you raised your voice. Too negative. And we've talked about this before, this kind of toxic positivity that you do. Well, games. it's it's infectious. I've infected well, you with yeah, it. Yeah. In, you know, big capital letters. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. Well, there we go. Couldn't have got off to a better start this show. But you know what else couldn't have got off to a better start? It's The Athletic. Of course, The Athletic launched in the UK in 2019. And strength of strength. The writers are fantastic. The football coverage is amazing. I've particularly enjoyed reading The Athletic this evening. I've enjoyed Jack Pitt Brooks' piece, uh, of course, uh, after the England game. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that later. And I've been enjoying all of the other writers throughout the Euros too, Seb. Yeah, you know what was super, Joe? There was a piece this morning about how England used data. How mm. 
Mm. They've been preparing for all the scenarios they might face in Euro 2020 and not going to give anything away, just read it. Really cool. Had no idea about any of it. So uh, that was a really good start to the day and set me up. It kind of put me in a positive, oh, we, we might win this game. Game, not tournament. Sure. Mode. And I came bounding into the office, all happy, and it just it was the start of a great day. Well, I believe until tomorrow, you can get a 30-day free trial if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, uh, where you can try it for free for 30 days. You've nothing to lose. That's The Athletic. Enjoy. Anyway, I'm going to be enjoying uh, today's podcast. We're going to talk a lot about England, of course, a little bit about Germany and Yugi Love's uh, last game in charge as well, uh, a little bit on Sweden, Ukraine, uh, and then we're going to look forwards uh, to uh, to the weekend, Friday, Saturday, some big games already, Belgium, Italy, uh, England, uh, Ukraine, we now know, to other games available also. I just can't remember what they are. Uh, but we'll get there in due time, dear listeners. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Gareth Southgate. Right, let's begin with uh, England 2, nil Germany. JJ, well done. Gareth Southgate, am I right? Well done, Gareth Southgate. He got the strategy absolutely right here. After a lot of criticism before the game. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So, I mean, the criticism before the game, uh, of which there was a lot, is that he picked a very defensive-looking team. Uh, one thing to say, just because you have three centre-backs and two wing-backs does not mean you've played five defenders. Like, people often say that. It's just three centre-backs is your def- your defenders there. Played two wing-backs, um, played uh, Sterling and... Um, who else played? Saka. And Saka, that was the one, yeah, because he did well the other night. So mm. that team came in and people were going, oh, where's where's Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho and all the lads? Uh, it wasn't attacking as they could have been. Didn't play the 4-3 or anything like that. It was absolutely, it turns out in hindsight, and we even previewed it in a, like a tactical thing we did on TIFO IRL on YouTube. Um, we previewed why exactly he tried to match up Germany's shape. It worked exactly. And he... Um, he largely kept the game quiet to make sure that... So the first 15 minutes looked like Germany's had all the ball. I think I said, I couldn't remember England having the ball even in the first yeah. 15. But really, the first half ended and I thought it was very even, but England had a bit of an edge to it. And They had had perhaps the better of the chances in that first half, hadn't they? But I think they were mostly set pieces. So that's yeah. kind of natural, I think, would be the case. There was very little happening in open play from either. And then the second half, uh, it just seemed that England sort of stepped up a little bit. I thought they had full control over the game. Um, then there's the change, uh, which happens later on. So Grealish comes on about minute 69, I think, around about. Uh, and then Sterling goes to the right side. And then you've got um, Grealish goes to the left and Saka goes off. Now, Grealish uh, doesn't, I don't think he changes the game more than, it's the more the tactical substitution that does, so that makes sense. I'm sounds like I'm trying to be unnecessarily no, sure. down on Grealish, who uh, I really like. But then straight away, you get Sterling in a different position. Um, the fullbacks, or the wingbacks by that point, had pushed up slightly more because they'd kind of kept Germany quiet for ages and they weren't offering that much of a threat. And because England are at home, you naturally get more of a, I, I feel that you get more of an advantage later on in games as you can push and try to like squish them out of it. And it was a case for me that Southgate looked like he was waiting for Germany to make a mistake so they could pounce. Very kind of Jose Mourinho peak-ish. Uh, peak Jose Mourinho-ish mm-hmm. is what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he should get many plaudits for what he's done because 
Well, I also think that had Thomas Muller scored that goal where there was the one mistake that England made, it would have changed the entire game. It might be saying, well, what a fool, he should have played all the ah, lads. Had ifs and buts, JJ. Exactly. Always the, the rulers of uh, the perspective, aren't they? You know? That's exactly what they're saying. Yes. I'm glad that you've brought it back to Gareth Southgate, though, because, Seb, I want to, uh, I want to put this to you now. Uh, I think that... Hang um, on, Jack. Mm-hmm. He's holding a trophy Carry for on. the listeners there. He's yeah. now holding a trophy. Thank you very much. That's the, yeah. that's the right level of toxic positivity. Now, uh, let me put this to you about Gareth Southgate. Uh, as, uh, as we said with JJ, he had his, uh, his, well, he's had his critics for the last six years, put it that way. Yes. Uh, but before the game particularly as well, up against Germany, round of 16... He put you know, we see the we see the lineup an hour before the game and it does feel defensive. Yes. Right? However, it also feels like the same criticism that is leveled against Gareth Southgate before every tournament game, the vast majority of which he has won. And I think like the nicest thing for me about this is that if um I think Jack Pitbrook said in his piece after, if this wasn't Southgate's biggest game for England, this was his his most important, right? It was his biggest test. Uh and he really stuck to his guns, didn't he? I mean, like, it's he did everything that everybody shouting in the country would have told him not to do. Everybody wants him to start Foden or start Grealish or go on the attack and be less passive. And, uh, you know, that's the way to win football. That's the way to play football, all the rest of it. What he's done is he's looked at what France and Portugal have done over the last few years. He looks at how tournament football works. He knows his players. He has great uh, faith in Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling particularly, who's repaid him yeah. massively this tournament. Uh, and he did exactly what he wanted to do it's massively paid off. We know from the footballing perspective, it's a kind of fine margins thing. But also for him as a coach, it's extremely fine margins. Because as JJ said, if Muller scored that goal, mm-hmm. if this hadn't worked out, I think you made the point before the game, you can't lose when you pick that lineup, right? You have to win yeah. because that's what picking that lineup is about. Uh, so if he had lost, maybe England fans would have spent the rest of the summer talking about how Gareth Southgate had been a failure for the last six years. I tell you what, if England had lost, uh, England fans spend the rest of the time at summer talking about Jaden Sancho and Phil Foden, and yeah. probably Jack Grealish too. Sure. And this idea that you know you 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 leave all of your most dangerous attacking weapons on the bench. So yeah, I I think a lot of this comes from what happened in 2018 in the World Cup semi final. England had a winning position, and over the course of that 120 minutes, just gently surrendered it, surrendered it, gave the ball to Luka Modric, and they got past the death. Yeah. So I think that comes from this also. Historically, over the course of his reign as England coach, he, he's he been quite reticent in introducing attacking elements. With the exception of Harry Kane, he's been very he's been very loyal to Raheem Sterling. He spoke about that after the game and he described him as, um, I forget the word he used, but he is as impressed as ever as he ever has Immense. been. Immense. Immense is the word he used. But if you think about how long it took to involve Jack Grealish, um, the reluctance around Jadon Sancho, how Phil Foden has been used and how that's been quite a gentle, gentle situation... Um, that feels like it's described a a cautious coach, a conservative one. And until you win games against big opponents, it's quite an easy stick with which to beat him. But he's done that. He's done that. No, no doubt, Joe, that the fun police are on the horizon marching towards us, telling us about how <laughs> if this happened and if Germany had this player. And but these things don't matter in the same way that well, when, it didn't happen, did it? Well, in the same way that when as as, as Germany won um, when when Germany last won a tournament game in this country. It wasn't, well, we won the European Championship, but if, if Paul Gascoigne had scored that goal in the semi-final, then we wouldn't have done. It yeah. doesn't matter. Um, I think it's a huge feather in his cap. Huge feather? Is it just a feather? It's not a huge <laughs> feather, is it? It's his huge, feather. The huge it's feather his own would feather. look ridiculous. Sure. Absolutely you still wearing feathers and caps. Exactly. You look like um, Disney's Robin Hood with that yeah. enormous, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, 
so it's a it's a great moment. I also think it's really nice. Uh, JJ and I were talking as we went out for coffee after the game about in this kind of game, sometimes England persevere by, for want of a better phrase, our passioning. They play a very British form of the game. They run their opponent's legs off. They um, they play on adrenaline almost. Well, that's that's the perception. This was a smart victory. Yeah. This was a um, this was like watching a boxer throw kind of tentative jabs and exploring kind of what his opponent's weaknesses were, and then finding one and exploiting it. Yeah. And I think one of the um, we'll get on obviously to the effect of Jack Grealish when he came on and the sort of the various impacts of different players. But I felt like the substitution was made at the right time, and it, and that sort of that gave the impression of Southgate introducing little elements to whether it's true or not, which altered the game, which helped them to win it. Maybe not change the complexion of the game, but certainly changed kind of what England could do with the ball. Um, and that, to me, that was a, that felt more proactive than we've got used to seeing with Gareth Southgate. Yeah. And it was a good time. It was a, it was, it was a good time. It was, it was a good time. time. It was a good, it time. Was a good time. We had a really good time. I have to say as well, I think away from the pitch and away from the sort of tactical analysis side of things, I think the main thing for me after that game is that that criticism, the common criticism of Southgate has to be put to bed now. It, ha- agree, it, ha- it agree, has to stop because this is, I remember this from the World Cup in 2018, like there was a lovely feeling of hope, which, you know, the old cliches grip the nation. I know that not everybody in, in England watches the football, but it genuinely felt like more people watching it were hopeful in a way that I haven't really experienced at any point in my life as an England fan, right? And Hopefully in the right way though, Joe. Let, sure, let, let's yeah. characterise that right, because there have been times in the past where, England fans have just assumed, well, look at the look at the score we're taking the tournament. Just give us the trophy. Don't even bother playing any of the games. We'll sure. just take the trophy off you. Yeah. This is kind of I I'm not speaking for everyone. I know there are people that always get carried away, but to me, it feels like a cautious optimism. It feels like it feels Why well, went into today's into today's game thinking we could win. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I think I think my negativity was probably instructed by past experience. Sure. And also I thought Germany would be better than they were. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were a little bit disappointing. But it felt like you can make a logical case rather than just saying, well, you know, we've got the 11 best players in the world, as England fans used to do and did in 2006, probably did it in 2004, did it in 2002. In fact, it's probably easier and quicker to name the tournaments when that didn't happen, when sure. people went into it just thinking, we're rubbish, we'll, we'll go home in three games. Absolutely. Um, and this feels nice and because it's, there's this faith in the international team. and but also, but also with Gareth particularly now, it's... You know, it's lovely because it, 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 I think there was a criticism, a criticism of 2018 that even though England played well and uh, progressed very far in the tournament, the, the criticism afterwards was, well, they played rubbish teams and it was an easy run and that's why they got that far and they haven't really been tested. Yeah. I know, I'm sure some people will say in, 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 you know, in the near-term future that Germany are in a transitional period and they weren't at their best and they didn't perform particularly well and whatever. No, like, I know those things are true, but Gareth Southgate's England beat Germany in a knockout stage, right? He's got yeah. nothing left to prove as an England manager. He's taken England to the semi-finals of a World Cup, uh, now into the quarterfinals of, of the Euros with, a, with, again, no expectations that they're going to go any further than that, but with a reasonably favourable draw, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and also I would apply the same logic to, to Harry Kane and, and to Raheem Sterling as well, two other players who are heavily criticised as part of the England team. None of them have anything to prove to anybody anymore. And that's the, that's like the most exciting thing from today for me. I would characterize it slightly differently. I agree with you. I, I'm with you on that. I, I just think also it comes down to trust and faith because I think the uh, today didn't change the conversation in the sense that now we almost believe that um, 
this manager and this team are fantastic and you know are heading towards world domination that would obviously be silly but it does it does change the the way that his decisions should probably be greeted because he's he's mm-hmm he has earned a little bit of trust. So when he yep. makes that next team selection, people like me who, my heart kind of sank when I saw that, that sure. starting level. Sure. I, I was pretty negative about it. I don't mind admitting that. It disappointed me. Me too. Next time, if I see it, fair enough. He's got a plan. Let's wait and see what it is. It's just I called think benefit of the doubt. <laughs> like he's yeah, just, yeah, he's that, earned the benefit of the yeah, doubt. Yeah, right? exactly that. Exactly that. It's the right way of putting it. And that's probably the difference. You knock over Germany in a knockout tournament, that's, there are no caveats and asterisks to that. It's Germany. Yeah. It's in the same way that um, you don't say to the Swiss yesterday, oh, yeah, but, um, you know, Mbappe wouldn't usually miss that chance or that penalty and Pogba wouldn't usually give the ball away and, oh, well, you know, they were without their first and second choice left back. All valid points, not really relevant in a tournament. Just doesn't work like that. Yeah. You're either out or you're not. So Yeah. Okay. Hooray. JJ, I want to ask you about Jack, Jack Grealish. Because, again, it sort of links to what we're talking about here, the idea of uh, Gareth Southgate starting conservative teams, bringing on an attacking player that everybody wants to see towards the end. And it, it felt a little bit like the narrative drawn around that was that that's the moment that, that changed the game for England and, and, and Jack Grealish came on and changed everything. That's not quite uh, fair, is it? I mean, he's a you know, great substitution and, and played a brilliant 25 minutes or however long he had, was involved in both of the goals. But he didn't drastically change the game, did he? Um I think the game was sort of changing already before he came on. The timing of it would maybe make you think that I'm being an idiot by suggesting it's not that because he comes on and suddenly they win. But the two goals England score are from uh, Germany giving the ball away and being caught in transition. Both times. Or someone being out of position. Like the first one, Sterling gets the ball on the right side because Grealish has come on. And uh, Grealish is a different sort of player to Sterling. Sterling will get the ball and instantly run, and then he'll be still running before, like long after you've been saying pass, pass yeah. the ball, but he's still yeah. running. Uh, Grealish, I think, passes earlier and receives the ball slightly deeper than him. I think there's just, just slightly different in the way they play. So Grealish comes on, he's on the left, doesn't really matter. Sterling gets the ball. Uh, Rudiger, because Germany are playing a back three, comes out from his left centre back slot to close him down. That leaves the left centre back slot completely empty. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other two, Hummels and Ginter, who are there, and Kane's in between them. So then Sterling just does this thing that he can do and drives between uh, two or three players, yeah. drives straight through the middle, something he does a lot for Man City, driving through the middle with a ball, because he can do that. Uh, like it's, it's like a striker sometimes for Man City, so yeah. that's good for him. So he gets through that, that little block. The ball comes out to Kane, and then Hummels has to go over to Kane in the D, and as soon as he does that, he's left all of this like massive gap between the centre-back. There's no left centre-back, remember, and the left wing-back. There's a huge gap there. Rudiger kind of chases Sterling across rather than retreating yeah. to his position. Exactly. He goes in the midfield, try and close him down, yeah. And then because everyone then just congregates around the ball, everyone squeezes in because they're drawn towards the ball naturally because you get scared at the edge of the box. Um, and then Shaw's out wide. Uh, so there's loads of space there. But the ball comes in. Uh, Grealish is the one that... Uh, no, the first, second one is the one that Grealish crosses in for Kane. The first one is Shaw as the yeah. assist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the ball comes out. To, Grealish passes it on to Shaw. Shaw puts it in. And that's how Sterling slots in. Into and, the space, which is vacated by the defenders. Exactly. Because if you, if you look at even like the goal, the, the final like frame of Sterling hits it, you've got Hummels next to him. And then you've got the left wing back, who's Gerson's, who's coming in behind him. And he should have been further out next to Kieran Trippier, who would be totally on his own. And you've got Harry Kane totally on his own next to him Germany are pulled out of position completely they just sort of panic it's one of those moments where they just aren't set in their shapes why mm-hmm. shape's so important defensive shape is so important if you're caught out of it even once um, that's when teams score and that's that thing we're talking about the control England had yeah. they were waiting for that one thing and it 
you wait and wait and wait and wait and look like you're not really in the game and then bang, Sterling breaks the lines of one little run and one player's out of position and that's where the dominoes start to fall and yeah. they get through. It's that's pretty nice. cool. In fact, and what something Seb was, Seb was saying earlier, I thought one of the things as a neutral watching England play, uh, the way they won that game was the kind of way I've seen them lose multiple games in the past. They Big weren't time. smart, like they were Big smart time. tonight and in the past they've lost. That said, Muller should have scored. But yeah, the second goal as well, I mean, Grealish <laughs> comes on. Uh, Grealish is there involved in that as well. But only uh, by doing the final action, obviously, is very important. Yeah. And because he's able to use his left foot, maybe better than Sterling could, and he's better at crossing maybe than Sterling is. So that came from Shaw like, doing an amazing break into midfield, though, right? As a theme of today, I think you see how important wing backs are. I mean, they were yeah. important in the Ukraine game as well. But it's just matching that up. And later on in the game, I think Shaw's figured out, like, Kimmich keeps coming inside uh, off the right at some point. And, uh, and Germany are caught because Goretzka pushes forward and leaves the entire midfield empty. It's just Kroos who is pretty much out of the game. And you can see Phillips and Rice, uh, or actually Grealish drops in because Rice is slightly deeper. So Grealish drops from left wing into the midfield to fill that slot. Shaw comes in from the left wing back position, has read the play really well, wins it. That's the turnover. Suddenly Germany, all sorts of problems. Yeah. And Grealish makes his play, but Grealish is able to get that ball in because again, the defence is all caught out. They're all out of position and they're trying to re like reassemble. Is that the word? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like connecting the various components into what they're supposed to be. Yeah. But they can't do it quickly enough. And it's just one like small error is where you get that. And it's that's why I think it's kind of compared to um, I'm not trying to say Gareth Southgate is as good as Jose Mourinho at managing, but I think uh, I think that, that in international tournaments, as long as you get the luck, which mm. you can't ever guarantee, um, if things go your way, it is probably the most sensible, best way to win a tournament yeah. because you don't give away anything and then you exploit someone else's mistake. And it just makes so much sense. Like yeah. Gnabry shouldn't have lost that ball in the middle of the pitch. He shouldn't have done it. And mm. that's how they get their second games done. But Miller should have scored. <laughs> That is true. That was interesting. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Joe. I mean, I think the point to make there as well is it's not to try to take credit away from Jack Jack Grealish, just more to sort of battle against the you know the points being made after the game that he came on as the attacking force and changed everything. Because it, I think, yeah, I personally I think that takes away from from the rest of the teams and Southgate's achievement with the way that they set up. He played perfectly into the system that was there for him, and he came on at the right time. Yeah, and uh, something I've just thought of actually, I thought of it earlier is that there's something that you can't measure in terms of statistics or even like how the play's affected. But when you came on, it's sort of galvanizing effect in the crowd who are like, yes, yeah. we've won a gold because you've brought Grealish on. And I'm sitting there obviously like, yeah. all right, lads, it's Grealish, he's you good, but, but come on But he was smiling immediately as well. Like I think there's a moment where, was it Ginter that fell over or something? Yeah. He gave, a, Jack Grealish gave away a foul within moments of coming on. Gave away the ball and the foul. And then he's just kind of laughing to himself saying, you know, get up. And like that kind of attitude, it felt like that was absent from the team because it was 17 minutes into a really tense game. He lifted them a little bit, didn't I, he? I bet that permeates through the crowd. And then that, yeah. that um, it's, it's almost symbiotic with players, I suppose, but that definitely that energy is going to be felt by players feeling like, yeah. here's the lift. And it's the final 20 minutes and they've got Germany sort of where they want them. It's, you know, it is quite even, but <clears throat> they're starting to squeeze them a wee bit. And so Grealish coming on, be able to do the stuff that Grealish does in the left wing, but also the crowd then slightly giving you this energy and the players might feel it, right now we've got this chance now, we've got this thing. Even though it's not really a huge change and it's mm -hmm. not that Sterling was, was bad in the left, he was decent. Right? Yeah. I think when you look at their bench and see the numbers of extremely talented players that they can bring on to affect that, if that wasn't Jack Grealish, that could have been, you know, uh, an uninjured Mason Mount, that could have been Phil Foden, that could mm -hmm. have been Jaden Sancho, that could have been Marcus Rashford. In another day or another year, that could have been Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing I like about Grealish, and a lot of people tag him as a as a carrier, as just as a carrier, someone that can, you know, uh, run up the pitch and take players on. I think what I like most about him is he knows when to release the ball. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the timing of his passes and the weight of them is usually really, really good. If you if you find compilations of just his passing, it's actually kind of mesmerizing because you see the weight and you see kind of how often he finds space and, and drops it within exactly a yard of where it needs to be. And I suppose... When you get to the last 20 minutes of a game like that, which is tense and a little bit frayed, and people are starting to get a little bit worried about what's happening, and you've moved some of your attacking pieces around, maybe the best thing you can bring on at that point is a player that can do those things. You don't necessarily want someone who can, you know, you don't want a a broken field runner, useful as that may be. You want someone who can find that exact blade of grass, which is going to expose a weakness. And I think if you you look back at those two goals, that's kind of what he does. There's nothing... There's nothing um, mesmerizing or unusual about that. It's just very simple things done really well. It's just the perfect. Right, it's the right decision, yeah. Right decision at the right time. And before, there's no dallying. There's no There's no extra touch, yeah. which allows Jeremy to close off an angle. There's no, um, it, it's just it's, perfect. It's flawless execution simple, of very simple things. Exactly right? that, yeah. exactly that. And, and that's I, why his numbers are good. Like, yeah. so, like, so he affects play, but his number, he produces, he produces goals and assists, the most basic like football man, Analysis you can do, he gets the goals, he gets the assists, that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. But you look at, like, I think Bukayo Saka is a great player and he's he carries Arsenal at times, but he doesn't get the numbers. Yeah. Because so he can be, he's a great foot, he can be a great footballers. I think there's loads of them littered all over the world that play in teams and you can't leave them out because they're so good. Technically, they're so good, but they don't quite get the numbers that really make the difference. Like, Sancho mm. gets the numbers, maybe he doesn't do quite other stuff that you maybe need. Saka's somewhere in the middle there, but yeah, Grealish affects the play. Um, is act. He's often the guy. Yeah, he gets the assists or the goals often, which is it's just very val. It sounds very obvious. But it's really valuable and quite unique in some players. You get a lot that just don't really produce. Like I don't think Rashford produces enough sure. as he should for how good he is. You know what was um, was interesting too, and this is a point you made was Raheem Sterling's run for the first goal. Mm-hmm. Like we saw how initially he's offside, and he's smart enough to make the run back around the defender, stay yeah. onside. He knows exactly where the offside line is. Yeah. Which actually, if the ball goes past him, uh, it's not going to be a goal because Kane is offside. Kane yeah. doesn't make that run. It's it's Sterling. That feels like a, you said it was a, a very Manchester City goal. Sure. And it's exactly that. It was uh, just a really, the little details within that goal are really pleasing. They were yeah. just really nice to see England because that feeds into the the smart football point from earlier. That's where England used to get undone, I think. Mm. Little moment. Well, we'll be back just after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're back. 
And we're going to crack on now, uh, carry on talking about uh, England. I want to uh, ask you specifically about Raheem Sterling. Seb, you mentioned him there. Uh, he's got three goals in four games uh, for the tournament so far. He was certainly England's most dangerous player, um, definitely in the first half, the argument for the, to, say, to make for that entire game. Six take-ons, more than the rest of the team put together. And uh, in his goal, as you said, it did feel a bit like a, a Manchester City goal. It was nice to see England be able to execute that kind of, uh, that kind of yeah. move. Yeah, I, I think everything about him was pretty good today. I, I think... Obviously, we'll we'll get on to Kane later, I guess. But I felt like in the first half, England didn't really have anything offensively other than Sterling and Saka. Yeah. And it was interesting to see because I think one of the criticisms, I think I made this earlier in the tournament, was he's someone you probably want running behind. He's probably someone that you want knife into the penalty box. When he comes centrally, sometimes his decisions aren't made quickly enough. And that was completely untrue today. He, yeah. When he came into the center of the pitch, he played from the left-hand side, Saka from the right. When Sterling was in the middle of the pitch, you, you saw how much unsettled Germany. Yeah. Um, and because he's very elusive when he carries the ball, he's he sort of he wriggles a little bit with it. And it's defenders don't like it because they can't really anticipate which direction he's going to go with it. He was also super sharp today yeah. in a way that he hasn't been at other yeah. games in this tournament. He scored the goal in those games, a bit like Harry Kane today, you know, didn't have the best game but scored the important goal. But today he just looked on it from the beginning, didn't yeah, he? I mean, like great. one of the really criticisms great. which can be leveled against Raheem Sterling uh, and has been throughout his career is that sometimes the end product just isn't there in the way that you want it to be. But it felt like today it was going to come no matter what. Yeah, and I, I found myself thinking about this after Gareth Southgate spoke post-game and I just thought maybe this is this is the result of a player that's loved, who has almost yep. unconditional faith. And actually, we've criticised Southgate for this before. I've done it. You've done it. I don't can't remember if JJ has. I think Alex has. That was definitely have. You almost, yeah, like because you think, oh, I want to see Sancho. And fair enough, most of us do. But st when, when, when as a player, you have a manager that just says, no, you're going to play. And yeah. also, um, this is what I think of you. And that's not going to change just because of a bad 90 minutes or a bad half or a chance not quite taken. And I wonder whether some of that feeds into this idea that when, when Sterling... When Sterling does carry the ball into the middle of the pitch against a team like Germany, which let's not forget, like in that midfield, Goretzka, Kroos, Hummels at centre half, yeah. like these are these are proper players. Yeah. Um, these are these are. I don't think Goretzka, Goretzka obviously wasn't around for the last World Cup, but there are World Cup winners here um, who players from the very highest level of the game, and there's no inferiority with him. Mm -hmm. Just he picks up the ball and does things with it, and I think Southgate. That's one of the things to credit him for. It's an intangible, so it's hard to quantify. Yeah. But this is this is sort of this is the the uh, the end result of having faith in a player. He feels emboldened. He feels like, and also let's not forget the conversation that surrounded Raheem Sterling in this country for a really long time. Yeah. Particularly around past dis past disappointing tournament performances when he was singled out by tabloids, treated abysmally, many 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 times, and reported on in a way that is just frankly, mm -hmm. disgrace. So he's been carrying all this baggage and it feels like he's shed it all. I mean... I well, on that point, can I say, I watched the post-match interviews today. I haven't done any of that this tournament for any of the teams, but yeah. you guys went out to the shop and I stayed. And so I was uh, eating a stir fry and watching the <laughs> telly and every England player that was interviewed afterwards said s some semblance of, we know we get criticism and it's nice to show them. Do you know, like, and I feel like that is, that's a kind of old England thing, but at the same time, it feels like Southgate has kind of fostered a positive response to that. It's, he hasn't ignored it. He hasn't tried to keep it out of the changing room in the way that maybe previous managers would have done. He sort of, it, it seems like he's used it uh, to, to their benefit. Well, 
who better than him to teach them about how to yeah. deal with that? I mean, obviously, the most toxic situation I've ever seen between England fans and a player is the David Beckham post-98. Sure. Obviously, but Southgate, yes, okay, people talk about 1996 in a sort of, um, in an affectionate way now. Your action to him then wasn't affectionate. No. No, it, it was pretty harsh and pretty unkind. And I think we've all seen, and most people have understood for a long time, he's a very decent human being, Gareth Southgate. Um, so there's a benefit to having someone that's coped with that kind of reaction. And I don't know, like it's it's a strange one because so he comes from a time which is pre-social media when your exposure to the opinions of fans isn't quite the same, I guess. But these players... I just they just don't seem quite as susceptible to that stuff or they have a uh, I'm I'm cautious in using saying things like healthy reaction because it, it seems to kind of um trivialize sure. some of the 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 behavior they've suffered but they seem to respond to it in a in kind of a yeah and what sort of way which yeah. is well you know, like, like like ca- characterized by Sterling's response to that question uh it, you know it was, it was a few games ago wasn't it where someone asked does this justify your selection and he just looks to the side as if like, what kind of question is that? Well, I, I feel like this is a trend with modern players. I remember when I remember when Leeds United got promoted and the day after it, some radio station ran a, a is Patrick Bamford good enough to play in the Premier League? Bamford goes on, on Twitter the day within about an hour and goes, oh, and yes, yeah, so it begins. Yeah. The modern pro is a little bit more, is a little bit more half What's the thing when they bounces off them? Yeah, resilient. I would Brazilian. say, and maybe um, it's because of social media. I guess they've all lots of these maybe. players have grown up with it, and yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I don't know what causes. It. I'm not going to pretend to know, but it's a when you when you speak to some of these players, and I I remember I remember mixing a few of these guys when they were in the youth teams. I used to cover sort of under twenty one football, and they're a different type of person. They are a little bit more. I, I don't know, media savvy. They're a little bit more comfortable in conversation. They're not quite, they don't sort of volley questions back in a defensive way. Like I, I know the, the cliche hasn't died. Let's, mm. let's be honest. There are players that were, you know, they want to just, um, you know, protect themselves and say nothing, but there are people that engage with journalists and they just seem a little bit wiser. That's the word. Yeah. They seem a wiser group of players today. And it seems like they've sort of um, learned from the experience of people like Gareth Southgate in the past, you know, Beckham as well, probably. David Batty, Paul Entz, you know, although I don't think anything ever faced David Batty, let's be fair. But um, yeah, this seems like a product of uh, of lessons learned somewhere. Well, speaking of resilience, JJ, I wanted to talk about England's defence. You mentioned before in uh, in your in your comments that this is a, a sort of a great way to play tournament football, or at least it's a it's a way that's proven to win trophies. Dare I say? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the key being that. Uh, England couldn't afford to make any mistakes and the defence didn't make any mistakes. I thought Harry Maguire was great. I thought John Stones made two exceptional tackles and the one where he sort of showed Timo Werner to the to the baseline, the baseline, the goal line uh, was great. They were they were superb, weren't they? Yeah, were they though? I mean, they did everything they needed to do. Didn't right? let any goals in. They were did fine. They make, I mean, I think we were talking about it during the game. The only mistake, like in terms of def- defensive mistake that we could remember that the whole team had made was the one when Raheem Sterling accidentally made the That's pass on the back for the Mullago. I mean, I mean, you could maybe other are, than that. if you've been super harsh, you could maybe say that. So Stones thinks he's going to go in to try and stop that, but pulls out and yeah, yeah. Maybe that's wise because if he's gone in and not making that tackle, he's wiping him out and it's a red card. Sure. So it's probably a wise decision. But I thought at the time, uh, I think like Fabio Cannavaro would have come in and swept that up. Sure. Like. 
but he can't play for England, so you can't yeah, do that. That's no. true. I thought Harry Maguire was very good. Yeah. Basically, he hasn't yeah. played a lot of football and he wasn't really fit coming to the tournament. Yeah. I was really pleasantly surprised. Not just, like, he's a unit, so you back him to win uh, most things in the air and to dominate one-on-one tackles. I thought his ball carrying was pretty good. He, he's done that since, um, well, since he arrived in the Premier League with Harley. He's, mm-hmm. he's been that sort of aggressive centre-half. Jürgen Klinsmann uh, uh, said he reminded him of Lucio. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, it's just a comparison. Like if, if Lucio had been locked in a gym for six months, because <laughs> Maguire is a different body shape. Lu- it's not More about bad. the way that he carried the ball into the midfield. Yeah, it's not yeah. a bad comparison because Lucio was really good on the ball mm-hmm. in, um, in that sort of uh, in that expressive way. I would say that, like, um, to me, it's like when it's like a lorry rolling down the hill with his brakes cut. Sure. When you watch Maguire carry the ball. It's like he just picks up momentum and then. Players just start bouncing off him. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like, but he, I'm not I'm not diminishing his skill or his technique. But it, it's um he's like a, a force of nature. He surges up the field. He doesn't doesn't elegantly um doesn't elegantly carry, does he? I liked the bit when he uh, had the ball in like the left centre back position, strode forward, couldn't see anyone to pass you because no one was showing for it. They're all hiding, and then he has to go towards the throwing line, I think he wins a free kick and gets yeah. up and just screams at them like, where are you? Yeah, and he screams at Pickford for not being close enough for the back And he's dead right, because yeah. Pickford's hiding. He's not like he's sure. either not sharp enough or they're nervous enough. And that's the difference. Like the good teams, the technically good ones and the ones who have the right mentality to win a game are the ones who are going to show for the ball. Yeah, and, uh, well, that was a nervy moment, wasn't it? It was the same yeah. at the beginning of the second half as it was at the beginning of the first half. There were five, 10 minutes well. where it took them to settle into the game. And you did feel that Maguire was one of the calming forces trying to, you know... Yeah, I think it probably helps playing for a massive club like Manchester United. Not that other players don't, because they all they all they, play for quite they good play teams. for big clubs, don't they? Yeah, so yeah. that's point stupid. So I'm going to take that back. Well, uh, yeah. one more thing on the defence. We were talking about this earlier on too. I quite want to understand uh, the thing when a back sort of three sort of becomes a back four, but it never really does. Because there were two instances of this in the game for both teams. Uh, halfway through the first half, it felt a lot like Kieran Trippier just stayed as part of the attacking line and Kyle Walker was almost a right back. Um, and also Emery Chan came on for Germany towards the end of the game and, and changed things for them too. I quite like the idea. I mean, I think we talk about things often a lot in in set formations. Alex often makes the point that this is maybe what they look like when they're defending, whatever. Yeah. Maybe they look different when they're progressing the ball. Maybe they look different when they're in transition. But I like the idea that there could sort of be a three and a four at different times in the game without it having to be, you know, too complicated for my mind. Well, when you're setting up a team, what you want to do is, I mean, you analyse your strengths and weaknesses and your opposition, and you want to know where you can gain overloads because when you have, when you can overload any part of the pitch, whether like in your build-up or in the final third or a small part of the wing that you know you can get any sort of numerical advantage, you work a way to do it. And yeah, like... The formations are just numbers. I mean, Guardiola said this a few times. That it's just this is numbers. It doesn't even matter. It's all about just covering certain spaces covered at certain points. Players have roles. Like just because you say someone's like you're a CB, it doesn't mean you're to stay at that bit, right? Sure. So like the way it's working with England to try and explain this this thing here. So they've got back three of Maguire, Stones, Walker. Now Walker's a right back sort of really, but he's a centre back. And the benefit you have of that is that he can then move over to the right back and Stones and Maguire just shimmy down a few yards. Mm-hmm. And they have to shimmy while they do it. Lots of shimmying. Yeah. And then the, so that means that Shaw is the left back, Maguire and Stones come at two, Walker goes to the right back and suddenly Trippier pushes up and that gives you an overload and that's how Sterling and Trippier are suddenly like 
it's like a pendulum. Exactly. And so then when they when they shift back and Trivia drops back into the five, you've got a numerical advantage defensively because you're if you're three v two at the back, so three defenders versus two strikers, that's the benefit. And then you've got wingers back as well because you can uh, sorry wing backs back as well because you can do that. And the way Germany did it was they took off. I think it was Rudiger. No, someone came off. It might have been Ginter. I'm it was Ginter. Sure. I wasn't it was really paying attention because Ginter got booked. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. he was the most likely to come off anyway. So he came off and they put Chan on. And Chan is a midfielder, really. He's converted centre-backs from playing at Dortmund as a centre-back. Uh, last season, I think it was the first season, he's kind of done it. And a bit, uh, Yogi Love has been doing it as well for Germany. So he's been doing that. But he can step into midfield. But he's kind of, I think he's left-footed, isn't he? So he, I think he goes to the left. So what that then means is that you've got Kimmich can drop back to be a right wing back when you need to he brought Sani on as a wide left so your width comes from Kimmich on the wide right and Sani on the wide left Chan can then move into midfield so you get an overload there with Goretzka, Kroos and Chan and one of the goals we talked about the second one because Goretzka goes forward to try and join in the attack and get an overload in the final third that leaves the midfield completely empty and it's only because of the turnover that that's exploited yeah but once if you have Chan in there it guards against the counter-attack so that's one good thing. So it stops the way England are playing. England aren't going to create there's on the ball. They were so slow in possession, England, really. This thing, they had control. They were slow, measured, just waited until Journey made the mistake. But with Chan there, you come in, you block the middle of the pitch. That's how you stop the counter-attack through the middle. And then when England do attack and they don't aren't counter-attacking, Chan just drops into the back line. So it becomes, it's a three at the start, then it becomes a two as one of the wide defenders goes wide right. And it's, you see it in a lot of teams now that play a... Uh, Rather than playing a midfielder as a centre back, like your Mascherano type deal, you know, or Javi Martinez at Bayern, that sort of thing, mm. you now play a full back as a centre back because it means you're more fluid and you can just change your shape all the time. So you, you know, it's like liquid around all of the component parts within on the pitch. So there's no set like you are now a four four two, you are now a four three three. It's just it. flexi time. It's flexi time for footballers live. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see the evolution of that because like. In the future, right back's going to be bred like someone like Carl Walker. When he when he grew into the game, yeah. he was a fullback. That was his job description. That's what he did. That was his role. He he appeared in a in different era. Fast forward ten years, you're going to get a whole set of new players who come through with the sort of the demand that right, you are going to have to master this area rather than this role, and this is going to be your yeah. kind of a tweener type of player. That's going to be really interesting. Well, at youth level, I mean, they don't just train them at one position. Yeah. They get them all... I mean, you don't even play, I think, 11 aside properly till I think, the, the new rule... Something like 14. It's a surprisingly late age that you're going to start playing 11 aside. I mean, there'll be some people who coach, whatever, who, who know that's wrong. <laughs> but I'm sure when I was learning... Um, so you play... So they're fours or fives, sixes or sevens, maybe eights to a certain level, and then you change to elevens because it's to do with pitch size and stuff Is like that. Is that also to increase the number of touches, presumably? It's exactly. So the more touches you get in any session, the better player you're going to be. You'll, if you play 11 aside, if, like if I play five aside, I'll get the ball a lot of times. All my touches will be bad because I'm a bad player, but I'll get a lot of the ball. So hopefully I'm better at the end of it. If I play 11s, I'll get the ball... Uh, probably literally three times because it's over my head half of the time. But that's the thing. So if you, um, the thing I watched Gordon Strachan talk about in Scotland, he's, when he was trying to say how Scotland should improve the entire nation and football-wise. <laughs> that making sense? Was, it, was this, was this what he started talking about? No, that was separate. He that said, was weird, man. That, <laughs> well, was, that even... was a strange, that's strange. Well, this, actually, we'll talk about this maybe in Sweden to do with, actually, no, I'm into that. So there's a, <laughs> 
one of the things he says that so you need touches. So to do with coaching now, rather than having people run over sand dunes to do fitness training, it is just you do everything with the ball. So you get constant touches with the ball because that's how you play the game. Mm. And what he did said, <laughs> he said, um, I was thinking about this and I spent an hour. I went into my garage and I kicked a ball off the wall for ages. And then my wife came in to see what I was doing. I was like, I'm just kicking the ball off the wall. You must look demented. <laughs> like in his, I think of someone's garage and they've got like a car there, bikes, a lawnmower, loads of tools you don't need. So, yeah, stuff that's meant to be in the attic. You don't need to get rid of it. Anyway, he's used in that. But he would have got like a thousand touches from that one hour, <laughs> like tormented in his little garage. Um, With his little face. Yeah, yeah like just, a, you know, a, yeah. a scientist is going to produce something brilliant from this uh, this experiment. But that's the thing, he gets a thousand touches of the ball. So he has had far more practice doing that than he would have done playing an 11 aside game or an 8 aside game. And within that, you get everyone to play different positions. I mean, you'll see like Alexander Arnold is a midfielder. Yeah. But he's been put to right back because that's where they can get him in the team and utilise his um, mental, physical and skillful attributes. That's his legs. Where, that's his legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you look at uh, like Barcelona, Ajax, all those boys coming through there. They can play every single position. They just excel at certain ones and often... They're kind they, of all midfielders, aren't they? Pretty much. And then you think about like... I mean, the, the cliche of places in Scotland and England is that if you're a big lad, you're going to be either a target man striker or a centre-back. Or in goal. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And it's, you know, it's if you're if you're too small, you can't even get in the yeah. in the team half the time. But yeah, I think it'll be a lot of, I think England are producing a lot of good players. And a lot of these players coming through, um, there's a whole group of them. There's an article I read maybe in the New York Times, might be in Rory Smith, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. It was to do with the cages you get in like South London. So like all these like you know those cages you get with the, they're all built on gravel not gravel that'd be concrete that'd be insane Cage, yeah concrete cages built concrete. from gravel <laughs> yeah. what are they doing to these children but they have the there's ones in like I live in Hackney and there's there's one in the park there and it's got a cage and the kids will go in there and they'll play and it'll be all different skill levels different ages so if you're a, a little whippersnapper you're gonna have to show your your skill um, on the gravel yeah on the gravel to uh, to do in better players older than you. Like, you know, if you're younger players playing with older players, you should get better because you've got to be trickier and more skillful to be able to yeah. deal with that difference in <laughs> physicality. But that's one of the things, your players that come through, there's, I can't remember any names just now that come through, but yeah. That's, Sancho's one. Sancho's, exactly. Sancho's that's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sancho's a great example of that. Playing those cages. I mean, like Mesut Ozil used to play in those kind of cages in Germany a lot. And there's a thing that in the, Nether the Netherlands that the Cruyff Foundation's put all these different Cruyff... Yeah. Uh, cages, Cruyff cages. Pitches. Yeah, yeah. Zlatan Ibrahimovic's one. It was slightly different. He played like there were concrete pitches uh, in the middle of his estate, and it was kind of a similar effect. Like you, you know, keeping the ball and keeping your balance. These are important things because if you get tackled and you fall over on concrete, yeah. it hurts. Mm. So it trains a slightly different set of skills. It's really. Interesting. Do you know what I had when I was a child? Tell me. Greenhouses, and I smashed three of them with a football. <laughs> In the garden? Yeah, they weren't mine. They were other people's other greenhouses. greenhouses. Yeah. You weren't in the greenhouse playing football? Well, there was the exhilaration. That you like Gordon Strachan. <laughs> inside the greenhouse. It's really, really hot as well. You the mean, stakes are so high. If I don't hot. control this ball, the glass is going to smash. And I'm like, no, but you remember the exhilaration of when you accidentally smashed something and then you ran? Yes. Back when you could just run away. Yeah. You can't do that now, yeah, can you? Yeah, if you yeah. break a window, you've got to pay for it and it's embarrassing and I mean you know it's on YouTube hasn't happened to me but uh, <laughs> yeah, and you've been cancelled yeah. but when you were a kid you used to kick a football at a greenhouse it'd smash into pieces and you'd just run away and there were other kids there no one knew who did it really and it was all fine and it was just the kid that the greenhouse belonged to that got in trouble 
good times, weren't they? Yeah. They were good times. times. I mean, I'm not a professional footballer, so, you know, there you go. They couldn't have been that good. Uh, But we'll be back after this break to talk about Kai Havertz. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We're back. And we're going to talk about Kai Havertz uh, because he's a great player, isn't he, JJ? He was very he was elusive today in the in the midfield. Uh, he had one big opportunity that was blocked by a nice save from Pickford. But also, it, it did feel, it felt to me like there was a sense that if Germany were going to score a goal, he was going to be involved in it in some way or another. I think he might have been the best player on the pitch today. Maybe. Even though they lost. Um, it's one of the best games I've ever seen Havertz play. Uh, a lot of space. Yeah, well, the thing he was doing, he started wide right in the 3-4-3 that Germany played, the forward line, but he's he's essentially a second striker... Uh, he'll there finish chances by floating into space. That's the thing he's very good at, identifying where he can go and when, and he arrives before anyone's realised he's there. Uh, but what he was doing in this game was because England had a two in midfield versus Germany's two, they're largely matched up man v man. That's most of the reason for 3-4-3 three, three, is to try and block any possible advantage Germany have. Mm. Havertz was just dropping into midfield. He came like even like the sixth position at one point to get it and bring it forward because he can do that. And so no one can track him, so he's just totally on his own. And if someone goes to leave, say whoever, say Phillips and Rice are looking after Kroos and Gretzka, if Phillips is like, well, I better go and get that boy, then you're just going to leave Gretzka all alone. So then he's on his own, and you can't do that. <laughs> I, do, I really like the idea that the professional footballers are thinking that in your accent, your voice <laughs> and their head. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they aren't. Anyway, he's good, isn't he? Uh, but it turns out we've been talking about this for a really long time and we do have other things to talk about, including Yogi Love, uh, because, of course, he's been Germany manager for 15 years, Seb. 198 games, I believe. A World Cup win in there too. A real servant to the team. And this was his last game. Awkward old legacy. Yeah? As well. Because, Tell me why. Well, 2014 is a very long time ago now, Joe. And this last couple of years has shown Yogi Love to be stubborn. Um it's also forced him into a kind of a backtracking with his position on Hummels and uh, and Thomas Muller. And it's just a bit of an ugly end. You, you follow up a group stage exit in the World Cup to a round of 16 loss to England. I know the, the Germany-England rivalry is a little one-sided. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not quite what people in England uh, hope or claim it to be, but it still matters. And that's still a humiliation you can probably do without. Yeah. And Harvard's aside, I don't think Germany did nearly enough today. I don't think today's game, it was tense for us in a way. Was it that close? Once the first goal went in? Really. Uh, I don't think so. So it's a strange one. I, I think it's one of those where he'll have, instead of 10 or 15 years, people will look back at the, they'll be able to focus more on the first half of what Yogi Love did with Germany. Mm. Um, 
But I, I don't think, I mean, you said at the time, if this is Germany in transition, that's pretty healthy because there's an awful oh. lot of talent. Tell me about them. Well, I mean, the ones we know about, obviously, Harvitz, we've talked about. Werner is still there. Like, I, I know he has his detractors, but Werner is still a good player. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, a fleeting glimpse of J Jamal Masalia uh, at the tournament. He's a he's absolutely fantastic. He's a, right. a terrific player. One of my favorites, Florian Wurz, plays for Leverkusen. Sure. Is a, I suppose he's kind of Germany's answer to... He's not really like Mason Mount, but he's very number 10-ish. Right. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. Got Makoku at British Dortmund, Baku at Wolfsburg. I, they have got a lot of talent coming through. and All those kids hitting the gravel hard. Well, hitting the gravel hard, and they're also going to be under the guidance of Hansi Flick, who was Love's assistant up mm. until 2014. So he is technically a World Cup winner. Yeah. Um, won a European Cup with Bayern Munich, of course, and... Uh, Players seem to like him. Uh, he has that respect of having worked for the DFB before, um, which will matter. He understands the system. I'd be very excited by Jeremy's future. This is a you know a pretty ugly end. And um, I suppose the benefit, of course, is that people have made the peace with the idea that Love was leaving for quite a long time because he announced his, that he was going to depart, I think, back in March or February. So it was sort of a free hit, and this is a sort of limbo period. So people have kind of had their eyes on the future, I guess. But it's... um. Yeah, Germany is still going to be strong. This isn't sort of this isn't Germany bottoming out or having to start again at the beginning of a new cycle. They've got talent ready to go, and it's going to be are, exciting, though. Yeah, they could be a very, very good team over the next few years. Hope so, yeah, I hope so. Did beat them though, so that's fun. Uh, okay, tell me about Sweden Ukraine, which was a game. I will be honest; I found it very difficult to concentrate on because one, I was a bit full and tired after the stir fry and the long day, and uh, two. You know, You'd had a bit too much sugar. I, I yeah, I, I I kind of had that. I had the sugar hit early on. I didn't time it very well. I'm I'm sluggish now. Well, I, we, uh, we we brought you brownies back from the coffee walk, yeah. and we gave you two. And that, in retrospect, <laughs> you bought me but, two. You said they were small, but they were normal size. They looked and small I ate behind the both. counter, and I just thought, you know, if if one of those doesn't feel quite enough. Mm. Yeah, this was like when great goals, by the way. I yeah. did see the goals, and they were they even the even the 120 minute goal was a very nice header. Uh, but that Zinchenko goal was hot diggity dog. Also, exactly what I want to see from Yarmolenko. Yeah. Just a really decadent bit of outside of the left foot skill. I don't know if I've ever seen a player. I know I've said that a few times now. I've never, I've never seen this before. But I've never seen a player curl a ball quite so. It's like very easy. Curly. It's a, with the outside of his boot. It was quite Modric like. Um, yeah. Yarmolenko beyond his best now. His best years are probably behind him. He's had a few really bad injuries. I, I think what I like about this Ukraine is, and I was I was reading um, an article by Lukas Vrabek, who is an excellent Slovenian journalist. Uh, it's written some articles all over the place, the BBC, The Athletic, good guy as well. Um, he spoke about how a lot of these Ukrainian players feel empowered by having Shevchenko as their head coach, because mm. obviously Shevchenko is a Ukrainian icon. He is uh, he was a world-class player, clearly, but a few, uh, past Palon d'Or Palon winner. Sure. And I think in a way you're saying I reckon that his friends gave him the Palon Award, <laughs> didn't they, though? Because he's a great friend. A really good friend, a really good friend. And no, a good friend to these players, because when you think of Ukraine in tournaments past, you think of a dour side who are, oh, God, I don't want to watch that, and that's going to kind of grind tediously towards a penalty shootout, which they invariably mm. lose. And this tournament was a bit different. I know they had they were good and bad. I know they had some really poor performances, at least, no, not least the, the last game in the group. They're very lucky to get to this stage um, through the lucky loser spots. But I felt like you saw them play. And I felt like 
there were you know, I thought Yuremchuk was 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 pretty good tonight. I I really like uh, Sidoshuk. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Like a just sure. sort of central midfielder was excellent, and he, they they felt a little less passive. They were there to actually do something. They, uh, I think it's fair to say that, though, that does they, that make sense? Like, it does, but they like. They did survive Sweden as well, though. In a sense, I mean, like particularly like for vast periods of the second half, it re- it seemed to me every time I did look at the telly that it, uh, it was only likely that Sweden were going to, or were more likely to be the the team that were going to get their second goal. Uh, the red card, of course, uh, changed things too as to the extra time. But um, well, in many ways, yes, because Sweden are. You could say many of the same things. Like I. I think Sweden have been quite dour. I think they've they've been good tournament team though. They're a good tournament team, but in quite a oh, I don't want to face them way. Sure. They're a they're a team that have to be beaten. Yeah. Whereas now you see, okay, Forsberg has been around for quite a long time, but uh, Kulisevsky um, is uh, really interesting. I'm, I really want to see what he becomes over time. Like, uh, I'm not sure is is he going to be a sort of a, a supporting forward? Is he going to play from the midfield? Like, he's he's a very dynamic player. Not typically Swedish. Isaac is, um, still don't know what he's going to be. Yeah. Still don't know how good he's going to be, but he's interesting and I want to watch him. And with the greatest respect, I haven't always said that about Swedish teams in the past. Yeah. Henrik Larsson aside, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course. But this team, they have bits of flair that Swedish teams haven't had in the past. And I, I know it came after England, Germany and we're all a bit knackered and it was it was a little bit trying, like trying to eat more food after you're absolutely full and just no more goes in. It was just football. Just no sure. more. Just I can't. Do you know what? Do you know what did brain. go in though? Forsberg, Emil Forsberg. JJ. Oh. He was he he hit the post twice. I think. Yeah. He's yeah. such a lovely player. To, I'll be very honest. The last time I really watched him play was in the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, and Alex and I were very excited about him back in in 2018. He was a, he's a lovely player to watch. He ran the game today. It felt. I mean, Sweden are unfortunate in some ways not to go through, aren't they? They had opportunities. Uh, yeah, I thought, I mean, the two forwards that we've seen, uh, Isak and um, Kulisevsky, I think are both really good players. And that's a good kind of future pairing that Sweden have got. But yeah, in terms of Fersberg, I mean, the little, what's the one when he hit the, the bar when he cuts inside and beats yeah. two players? Really just it's like so a, much power. Very like well done. Ski. You know, when they, when, they, when they just whip, zigzag between yeah. the gates, it was like, it was, it was so quick. With about two or three touches and then zero back lift off the top of the bar. It's like, a, he's, a, he's a maestro. Forsberg, isn't he? He's like a he's proper, proper playmaker. Yeah, and Sweden, I mean, they, they always play this 4-4-2 and Forsberg uh, plays like off the left and comes inside yeah. and the left back overlaps them. Uh, and then he ends up being like an 8 or a 10 so he can get into those attacking positions, which is basically what he does in his club team. Yeah, it's been a, Leipzig had a funny old season and, and he's had good and bad moments. I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying he's just signed a new contract. Um, oh. I could be wrong, but I think he's just extended by. Well, you've been wrong many years. times before, so sure have. So know, what does it almost, matter? It's almost what not does even it matter? Taking anything you say seriously, it's just say words and hope yeah. they're correct. That's Do you know what I'd give you though? Tell me the Palon door. Hey, nice. The Malon door <laughs> for the Mallard. Yeah, that's what you get. I, I I would want that, and I get the the Lalon door. For the lols. Yeah, I've gone through the entire alphabet and I can't come up anymore. Yeah, no. The, the, the. Anyway, Saturday, uh, England are going to play. Do we do that enough? Do we do enough of Sweden, Ukraine? Was there more we want to say? It's not that we didn't watch it and it's not that we didn't try. It's yeah. just that I enjoyed it. I, I watched it in a, I'm just going to enjoy the spectacle of a good game of football. Yeah. And it was, it was full of 
oh, I didn't know he was that good a player moments. Um, the 18-year-old fullback was very, very impressive. Zayanyi. Zahanyi. Yeah. Pronunciation. Did we get a pronunciation on him? I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. 18 years old from Dinamo Kiev. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. And that was not an easy assignment because that's on Forsberg's side. He played on the right side of that back. Sure. Um, and we talked about Sidichuk, who I thought was excellent. Bit strange. I didn't understand why Milanovsky didn't start. I really like him, and he felt uh, coming to the tournament. I felt like he was kind of central to everything that he that Ukraine would do. He's also massively popular in Ukraine. Apparently, he's a he's a bit of a sort of footballing celebrity. Um, Should we talk about the red card? Yeah, because it's there were one or two people <sighs> on Twitter saying that wasn't a red card, but I, for the life of me, cannot understand how anybody comes to that conclusion. Well, Should we talk about the law? Because um, there's a bit of let's talk about the law. I feel which like law don't you like the most? I mean, a lot of them, but mm. this one, because I, I think I understand the logic of saying, well, he, he got the ball. I, I get that. It's just that we've seen this a lot of times in the past. Like it's 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 no good raging at VAR referees because it's happened a lot of times. And it, it feels it's kind of strange to see sort of um, you know, high profile presenters and pundits sort of taking yeah. issue with it. But you can't, even if you're just clearing a ball, and I, I completely accept no intent whatsoever from Danielson. He's not, didn't no, try sure. to hurt him yeah. in any way at all. It is just an accident. The thing is, when you clear a ball like that, if you end up with your foot in that position with your studs that high and you make contact with your opponent there, referee's got no choice. It has to be a red card because yeah. you've got a duty of care to your opponent. That's kind of the, that's the emphasis. That's the sort of the, um, what's the wording? It's reckless, isn't it? It's, it's dangerous. Play, of, yeah. uh, overly aggressive, I think, the, is, sure. is the law. So it's not really about the ball. It's about how you contact with, a, with an opponent. Yeah. And we've seen this enough times now for it to... For it just to be the way it is, and whether people like the law or not, it's it's kind of not the point. Well, I would say, as a man who you know can sometimes be over enthusiastic, I know the dangers of over enthusiasm. It it does exist, doesn't it, JJ? Uh, yes. Mm. That, um, you saw the other side of it though, as well. You 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 had a little more of a balanced view, perhaps. I can see the the other side of it is that I mean, he's going for the ball, he's not looking at the man at all, and he's just. It's the follow through that's ended up catching the guy in a horrible way. Really unfortunate for him, and has done him in. I think it's a red card because I mean it just is because he's really hurt him a lot. And you sure. I think if you're an international footballer, you are aware of your surroundings and you know where players are likely to be, even yeah. if you don't, you can't see them. Yeah. You just don't know where they're going to be. If it's a, he's going leading into that because he knows he has to win that challenge to avoid it being a problem. And in that situation, I don't think you can go in that hard. Um, I don't have the mentality of a professional sportsman, but I know yeah. like when I play football, I would never go into anything like that because you'd know you're probably going to hurt someone if you do. Yeah. I think that's the problem with it. It's sort of like that. I've got another thing we can talk about in this game as well, mm. moving the red card. There's never an example of the wing-backs being a thing because Ukraine mm. always play a 4-3-3 or a 4-1-4-1. And then uh, Zinchenko has had his best game in the tournament today. As a, as a wing-back? As a left wing-back. So he plays in Man City, obviously, as basically that same sort of position, although mm. he's really a full-back. And... Um, yeah, he was excellent. He scored you think the they might do that against England? Um, maybe. It's, it's the thing. So now Seth can sort of work out how Ukraine will set up because they are have almost always been that 4-1-4-1. I mean, I, I don't know how far back... I can't remember how far back I looked when I watched lots of Scout of them. But, uh, that's what is in my, stuck in my head is how they play. So then they've changed to a 3-5-2 today and I think that's going to be because Sweden always play a 4-4-2. So you get three defenders at the back versus two forwards. Yeah. Should give you... The same way that Germany absolutely did in Portugal with wing-backs because they were playing against a similar shape. So they had the advantage. They had wide, wide right and wide left were able to get um, behind, you know, wide in the space wide of Sweden's block. Um, and that's the advantage they had. 
Uh, the, the red card didn't, it just fell apart, but everyone looked like they were running on totally on empty by the end of that. Like, West game four in 16, 17 days. It's like it's like the like, end of like a game of Parivo or something and the energy bars yeah. are all down in one tackle and everyone's just got an injured thing. Yeah. Everyone's walking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, should we should we quickly talk about England versus Ukraine? We know that to be Saturday night's game now. Should we do a bit of points of bad? Uh, let's do points of bad offers because we okay. need to make some predictions. Yes, we do. I, I, I mean, I said this at the beginning. I don't want to be arrogant England man, but it's a favourable draw, right? When you look at versus the other I feel side. feel like you've like, become too sensitive about this and it might be my fault because it's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic. It's okay to be optimistic about it's playing okay. Ukraine it's, versus it's, it's uh, Belgium or Italy. When when teams start winning games in knockout tournaments yeah. and people start to get enthusiastic, that's not arrogance. That's just I'm you know, confused. People are allowed to people <laughs> what, are allowed people are allowed to I like feel? the football team. You just there's there's a really big thick line which sure. I, I've always felt was very obvious and the, the thing that you don't cross, I don't think you're in danger of crossing it. It's okay. okay. You're allowed to be Sure. You know. I'm allowed to what's this? Punch. That's enthusiasm. <laughs> that that's that's kind of vague enthusiasm and optimism. Yeah. That's expressing what you're feeling about England. All right, well, we're gonna beat Ukraine. Yeah. Fine. But in a non-arrogant way. That's is that right? I'm so confused. But I mean we should beat Ukraine. Wait. There's a game against Ukraine. There's a game against Ukraine, mm. and we hope to win it. Yeah. I'm not saying we're in the semi-finals. I'm just saying uh there's a favorable draw. There is. So I'll, I'll draw an example. So before Germany played England, Stefan Effenberg, a uh, former German midfielder, said uh, England would be the easiest game that Germany have faced in the tournament. That's arrogant, obviously, and sure. also now looking quite silly. Because also they played hungry. It's also being deliberately provocative and yeah. it's a I want some attention comment. Mm. Um, whereas on paper, England have the um, the probably individually the better players. Yeah. Um, you would hope that they would come out of that game and top. Look how hard we're trying not to be arrogant and English about yeah. this. I mean, I do want attention. I'm confused more. <laughs> but then you, you, you know, um, to just make a loud noise or something. Or ah! there you go. It's the attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm quite tired. You tell me. You're not an England fan, so you can maybe tell you should me more of the segment for us. Yeah, you go for this one. Uh, we're, we're lost now. Yeah. This is. The, I don't. So if he's playing this, we're giving him lots of praise for um, playing the don't make any mistakes and you probably won't mm, lose game. Mm. Um, if they do that and it's nil-nil until like the 80th minute and Ukraine just managed to get one of these, just score a weird goal at a set piece or something like that, they're going to really regret not going at them because they're England are much better than Ukraine. Like They have much better players yeah, and they could do damage to them. The risk is that if you go at them, you're going to leave yourself open to exactly what Ukraine are waiting for to counter you or the, something. The kind of Scotland situation <laughs> is too, too right because I mean they have they England have done it against every team regardless of their their uh, exactly, supposed yeah. quality. Yeah, they just wait for the mistake to happen, and it could be that it goes all the way to penalties or something because it just becomes a, they just kill the game off so they can't make a mistake. Yeah, and that's your worry. Uh, that England should should win that. Is that yeah. but then then who knows. I th you asked me earlier, like, who do you think is better to get, Sweden or Ukraine? I said, first of all, probably Sweden, because I think they're beatable, because they are. I think Sweden are more... Uh, I mean, I, I was impressed by Sweden. I mean, I know yeah. they, they lost, but I, I think they That was a talented. rough old game in the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, that was. It was yeah. an unpleasant watch. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, we'll probably talk about that on we Friday night. We hope to do well. We hope to do well. 
We we support uh, the team. We are fully aware that there is the possibility, a very big possibility that England might lose, but mm -hmm. we hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah. But also, um, <laughs> it would be kind of, you know, it would be, in terms of going out of the tournament, it, would be, it wouldn't be the worst thing to see uh, Shevchenko and Ukraine go to the semifinals. It's a great story. I'd prefer yep. to go out to Ukraine in that, in that sense uh, for, for that sort of story uh, than I would have preferred to go out to Germany today. Yeah, I think so, because if you can't win the tournament, then you want to see something interesting happening in the tournament. Sure. And you want to see a new winner or a team who, a, a dark horse, actually become a mm. horse during the hey. course of the tournament. Nay. <laughs> Right, let's do points of bad, because this has been a long old show, hasn't it? It's a long old show. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, someone shouts, points of bad, and someone else says, the old red lion. <laughs> yes, please. Do visit the old red lion. This is not an advert. But if you go to the old red lion and you use the code Uncle Damien, <laughs> you'll be able to enjoy yourself. And that's how it works. The old red lion, best pub in, in London to watch football in. Uh, okay, points of bad now. Uh, difficult day all round, I would say. I mean, the, one of the things about points are bad, as we know, well, the first thing is that points are bad. We know that really now. Bad. We do know that. Uh, but two, results don't really matter. It's just score lines that matter. Because I was the only person, with the exception of producer Don, who's not officially playing the game, who predicted 2-0 England. Well done, Don. Uh, I was the only person here to predict an England win. Now, of course... Was I carried away? Did I say 5-1? Maybe I did. I honestly don't remember. I might have done that. Uh, but I did predict a, an England win, full of hope, hmm? full of optimism, and uh, full of uh, grace. <laughs> and uh, I still earned the most points today uh, because I said 5-1. So I'm finishing the day. I also said 4-0 Sweden. Uh, so I'm finishing <laughs> the day uh, with that footnote at 120 points. Really... Uh, getting out there in the leagues. You can Sounds count my like score in leagues yeah. now. That's, yeah, Sounds like a lot. I don't know how really how the game fully should sound, but that sounds like more. It is. It's more. Yeah. Because Seb's in third place on 105. Oh, that's less. That's good. That, that is, is that less. Is less. Yeah. You have fewer points. That's less bad points. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Um, and the gap is still seven, I have to say, JJ, between you and Alex, despite the fact that you picked different scores for both games somehow you managed to uh, get the same number of points in both games Alex doing that cowardly sniggering thing from home again where he uh, picks a 1-0 and a 2-1 just to stay ahead it's a good strategy but it's a coward's strategy and that's a message directly to Alex Stewart at home <laughs> you did say that in the down safety the camera. of yeah. his flat in Hampshire you're a coward start taking risks now uh, you took a risk today, didn't you? And it paid off. Oh, it didn't pay no, off. No, it didn't. It very, very nearly did. And then it didn't. That's and right. Then, you predicted yeah. penalties in the uh, Sweden-Ukraine yeah, game. Yeah, I went nil-nil. And nil there was penalties. a goal in the 120 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, lots of points. Okay. Well, you know, I haven't lost faith for you, Seb. You are only six points behind JJ. Mm -hmm. I feel like you could catch up, you know? And JJ, I expect that you are now even more regretting the 15 penalty points that you've earned over the course of the... the... Uh, Alex nearly forgot today, didn't he? I do regret those points. Yeah. Why did I... Yeah, because I, mm, I really wanted to win it, but I think I might not now. I there, think there have you been might days not. when it would have actually fun. been better had I taken the penalty points. Yesterday, had I just forgotten, sure, I'd have just earned six points. We should say one of the days that JJ took the penalty points, they were definitely better than the honest predictions that he gave us after realising he'd forgotten. So in some ways, 
you've gained fewer points than you would have done. In others, you've, you've lost. Yeah, and in another very more real way, I have lost many more points yeah. than I would. There are only seven games left, too. And I'll you're seven you. points behind, so you you really need to be beating Alex by a point per game at this at this moment in time. It's very doable. It really is doable yep. if Alex starts being a, a a brave boy. And if I am correct, and if also, you're correct, yeah. that would be the the first thing I want to do. That would be good. That would be good. Well, there we go. That's the end of the episode here. Thanks for joining us this evening. I hope everybody enjoyed the football today. We will be off for the next two days. And uh, we will return on Friday with Alex Stewart. will be here on Friday and Saturday uh, to watch uh, Belgium, Italy, I think, is on Friday. What's the other game on Friday? Switzerland, Spain. Switzerland, First Spain. Game. Yeah. Okay, so quick predictions. Uh, Belgium, Italy, go. Wait, no, tell you what, let's do it when Alex isn't watching at home. Yeah. I want you. I want him to do I his I want first. to win the game. Fine. We're not going to predict. We're not going to predict now. We're going to think about it. Yeah? And we'll get him. That's the end. Thank you very much to JJ Bull. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. And to Sebastian Staffelblor. Thank you, Joe Devine. Thank, thanking you. And of course, as usual, thank you to our crack production team of Don and Sol. And there's Sol's <laughs> lovely hand there. What a nice hand. I'm looking him right in the eyes as I say that. Lovely hand. Right, that's the end now. Uh, au revoir. Guten Tag. Uh, bienvenue. Other things. Tschüss. Goodbye. <laughs>